Last week we had talked about uh, that the um, the Israelites had moved to uh, Rephidim, 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 tomato, tomato, um, and they had this issue with water. Remember this last week? What? Just briefly, because we're pulling from context. What happened? There wasn't any. It wasn't bitter. It wasn't whatever. There was none. It just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. And so what happens? Okay. Right. Which is kind of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul kind of says yes. Okay. He would agree with you more than kinda. I don't think the rock has been struck in yet. The rock was struck. Was it? The water comes out. Well. Yeah, I know. I was going long, Um, but yeah, we we got to the striking of the rock eventually. (laughs) It was kind of gross. Had to clean up. in the water verse four, Grant changed his name to Peter. Um, so, um, so, so we have this: the striking of the rock with what? Moses is his staff. Moses is his rod, and the rod was a was the was the instrument of, of what that we discussed? Judgment. Of judgment. Okay. There's a lot in common with this section with the last section, which is kind of weird because this is a battle scene, but. What we have here, they're both based out of um, Rafidim. It's the same area. And, and there's, a, there's a test. There's a period of trial, a period of, test, uh, of testing in both. And, God, and the rod of God plays a, a significant part here, like it did in the previous narrative. And we have God intervening to save his people. So there's a lot of, a lot of similarities here, but there's one big difference. What's, what's the difference? Well, let's read it and find out. And you can tell me. Because you haven't read it yet. I have. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this, as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it The Lord is My Banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. All right. What's the difference between this story and the previous one? What's what's uh, unique about it or distinct about it? We have a trial. We have the rod. We have God delivering his people. And it's in the same place. What's distinct? Moses gets help with the rod, for starters. Okay. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but you're right. What's the context of the trial? Is it water? 
with other people. It's not within themselves. This is the first test they have that's not involving inanimate objects, right? We got water, we got food, we got water and food, and water and food. And now we have people. And what's going on here? First of all, who are the Amalekites? Who, who is this? Please. You remember your genealogies? We've been through the genealogies, and nobody remembers. No? Textual notes at the bottom. Study Bible's going to help out. Amalek was a grandson of Esau. And so we have Edomites, a subset of the Edomites here, brothers of Israel, fighting against them in this area. And, and, and what, are they, what are they fighting over? What do you think? Water, land, caravan routes. They're going from oasis to oasis. Maybe this oasis is a particularly um, good one. Uh, they're seeing this huge people come through their area, and they're, 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 they fear being pushed out of the resources that are there. Deuteronomy 25 tells us, when Moses is recounting this in one of his sermons in Deuteronomy, it, it, that, that basically what they're doing is picking off the weak in the back. They're coming from behind the children of Israel and, and, and picking up the stragglers, like jackals do to a herd. And so they're, weak and, they're picking on the weak and the weary, is basically what they're doing. And so they were, and it's just when you were tired and you were worn out, Amalek came against you. So it's kind of a not a very honorable way to attack a people, but but that's where they are. All right, so so what happened? This is the first military uh, or confrontation with an, an opposing nation that we've had since Egypt. What happened in the previous battle with Egypt? They didn't have to fight. What did he? What did he? What did Moses say to them? Do you remember? God will fight for you. God will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Remember, you have only to be silent. But and 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 what did the? They they didn't do anything to win that battle. What do they have to do here? They got to fight here. They have to stand and defend. And so we meet this guy for the first time, Joshua. And the first context in which we meet Joshua, he's leading a battle, right? Um, I saw, a, I saw a, uh, somebody posted a, a picture of um, Back to the Future, Marty McFly, and they showed the date. This is the date that Marty came to, you know, whatever. And it said, better get used to those bars, kids. You know, talking about his uncle, whatever. Joey. Joey, better get used to those bars. We better get used to seeing Joshua fighting battles. Because that's, that's his deal. We see him continually leading out in, in battle. Um, that's how we know him in the, in the future is, is the conquest of Canaan. So Joshua is obedient to the word of the Lord through Moses, and he goes to the valley to fight. Where does Moses, where, do, where does he go? Number one, why is it Moses leading them in battle? He's old. He's 90-something, right? He's old. Maybe 90, 80, closer. He's pushing 90. Well, what is he doing? What does he go and do? Joshua's going to lead the people. What is Moses going to do? What's the point of that? Why is he doing that? I can only imagine God told him to. That or he just assumes from everything else that the staff kind of represents God, God's judgment. 
Is it kind of a hocus pocus kind of thing going on here? I mean, I, I, why 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 do this on top of the hill during the battle? What's the staff a sign of? Authority. Okay. What else? It's also kind of an Ebenezer of what God has done for them. Okay. Let him across the Red Sea. He used his staff to part it. Right. So it's kind of God's symbol of, uh, of his power. of his power. Okay, of his power, his authority, his judgment. The rock with it. Smote the rock. The rock with it. V is he's holding up like like a V for victory. More, more like this? Okay. All right. Who goes with him? Let's move on. Who goes with him? And his brother-in-law. You, why do you think that? Because that's what your notes say. Her, his brother-in-law. Uh, some think that the tradition, actually, the Jewish tradition has that her was married to Miriam, which makes her even older than Moses. Um, so... Because, you know, Miriam was... Okay. Uh, Hur is, is probably a, a noble in Judah. Uh, he's a judicial figure later, we'll see in chapter 24. Is uh, uh, also assumed to be, many, many believe, to be the, the same Hur that's mentioned as a grandfather of Bezalel, who is a leader in the construction of the temple, or, or the, the tabernacle. We'll see that in chapter 31. So... What is, this, what is the sign here? This, this whole, when he holds it up, they're winning. When he lets his arms down, they're not doing so good. What, what, what is that conveying? Josh was fighting. That it's not by their strength. Okay. It's like they're getting their power from some other place. Some other place. <laughs> Mystical. It, it's a sign of who's fighting for them. Yes, but God is fighting for them by means of what? His, his promise, his staff. Oh, okay, yes, the staff's being held up, and yes, they have victory, but what is actually happening on the ground? They're the ones fighting, but it's God fighting through them, right? By means of their swords, their shields. It's God who is to be glorified here. When the rod is lowered, the battle turns against the Hebrews. God contributes more to the battle than sword and shield. But something happens. It's too much for Moses. Right? It's too much for him. The battle is long. Holding up the symbol of the power. I don't know if you've ever done these over-the-head exercises like, like the military guys do with the gun. They go run around and they do the thing. That's not easy to do for a long time, to hold something up. In fact, I'm getting tired now, just even. Um, they're hold, he's holding up the symbol of the power of God, and, it, and it, it's exhausting. This is a long battle, and he can't do it. His hands become unsteady, and the word for steady here is an interesting word. Um, it, it has uh, this connotation, or it means faithful, trustworthy, true. Right? Those are the kind of the... And it's always used in a moral context. Be faithful to the Lord. Be steady. Be, you know. Except here. This is the only place it's used where it has a physical activity associated with it. 
He can't do it alone. This steadiness, holding the, the rod steady. So Aaron and Hur, what do they do? What do they, what do they? They have Moses sit down on a stone. On a stone. Standard of the stone, you see. Um, and then hold his hands up. And they hold his hands up. That's interesting. Do you Sea. This is the same rod that did the Red Sea. Um, well, so while he's doing this, they're victorious. The, the Hebrews are, and 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 the way that the the text reads, they're, they're victorious and they weaken and disable the Amalekites who are attacking their weak and disabled. They now weaken it. You see the the, the language is kind of punny. Um, so you have God saying. To Moses, after this, they they don't destroy them. I mean, they don't wipe them off. They just weaken and and they they retreat. They repel them. And so God has Moses write down a a memorial. What does he say? Verse 13 through 16. He writes down this first, this is the first official record noted in Israel, the first one. And there's a pledge that, that God makes regarding these enemies that have attacked them from, from, from in the week. Um, and, it, and it's like he's saying, mark my words. And literally the text says, blotting out, I will blot out. What, what, is, what do we know from Hebrew language when you repeat like that? He's serious about this. This is going to happen. And he says it in the hearing of Joshua, who we've just been introduced, to whom we've just been introduced, this military uh, general that, that Moses has, has commissioned. This does happen, by the way. Um, but it happens much later in the reigns of Saul and David, ultimately. Uh, so Moses builds this altar, not for sacrifice, but for, but for remembrance, right? And what does he say? What does he name this altar? What? The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Why? Why? You have a textual note there? Don't the banners go before them in war? Because you're, as they're marching to war, they're carrying the banners, like their, their flag. Right. So God is like their standard, or God is their standard, it goes before them in battle. It's there for everyone to see that, you know, this is who we are. Right. And this is what we're fighting for. They don't have the Star of David flag up right. on the hill. They've got what? Moses and his staff that he's holding up and it gives the people hope God is with us. That's what a standard is to do, right? It's the rallying point for the army. We're still standing. Um, And yet, 
he takes that idea. He didn't say the rod is my standard. The this you know, it's a symbol of God is my standard. The instrument of judgment and provision that we saw last time now yeah I'm honestly talking about this one. now <laughs> becomes. The, the, the instrument of deliverance and victory. Right? Think of these two stories together. Judgment comes and strikes the rock. Provision and water flows. Out of you will come rivers of living water. Then we have, not only is, it's victory. Right? Not, not just living, but now we're victory. Now it's a victorious thing. All of this in the context, real quickly. Strike the rock, judgment, victory. You see how this, this is working. Um, Moses builds this altar and says, The Lord is my standard. The Lord is my banner. Not some flag. Not, uh, not a picture of Abraham on there. It's the Lord, our God is our rallying point. It's for His glory, it's for His uh, renown among the nations. It's to be seen by all. It gives hope in the battle, and it's a symbol of God's power. God is the standard beneath which Israel rallied. Alright. There are lots of ways to approach Narratives in the Old Testament. I uh, I heard this passage preached one time, um, and the whole refrain of the thing was, "You can help." It's like the whole time it was, you know, Moses was helped by Aaron and her, and you know, so that's fine. the the other The other way that 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 I sometimes like to let my mind wander on things, and 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 go to the the analogous school, and so here you have um, the, this uh, this idea of uh, uh, the prophet Moses, Aaron the priest, a Judah prince, you know, of the kingly. So you have prophet, priest, and king on the hill holding up the standard of God. There, there you go. So you could go that whole route. What's that? Sitting on a rock. Sitting on a rock. Um, so. There, there are lots of ways you could, you could do it. I don't know how legitimate either of those is. But um, in the previous trial, it, the, the rock that was Christ, because Paul identifies it as Christ, uh, took the blow from the rising instrument of judgment. And here it's a symbol of, uh, of deliverance. How is that achieved? What, what's the core issue here? How is the victory achieved? I'm looking for something we could pull from this since we don't have, n- none of us are, hold on, there's an old song we sing in BBS. <clears throat> I may never march in the infantry. Do you all remember that? I'm in the Lord's Okay, oh, yeah. So we may never do that, fly over the, we may never do all that, but. I just had to do the airplane. I had to. That's what I get to. My arms are tired from doing this. I want to do a little bit of this. So we may never do those things. But how is it, what can we pull from this, and how is God's victory, what is his model for achieving deliverance? You know, if, if 
using your analogy of Christ is the stone, if he's the standard that mm -hmm. we do all things by, mm -hmm. this is his word. This okay. is what he says. So if this is what he says and we use this as the standard, that's how we achieve all things is by having faith and obedience to Christ, which is through his word. Moses is tired. He's exhausted. What do these men do to help him? They first, and you, and you kind of said it jokingly, but I, I don't, I think there's something there. He said he wanted a stone. He said he the rock. The victory, in my, in my estimation, as I'm looking through this, the victory is achieved through community. God's power working through by means of community. There's the army on the ground fighting. And on the hill, holding up the glory of the Lord, holding up the power of God, is a man called to do it by himself. He can't do it. He can't keep it going. What he's called to do, he can't do. And his brother, hey, brother-in-law, yeah, I guess you're right, come and, and help. And how do they do it? They say, oh, I'm so good. I'm... They sit him on the rock. They don't take it from him. They sit him on the rock. And they hold up on either side the standard of the Lord. The, the, the... So here's the picture in my head. He is under the power of God. He's sitting on the symbol for Christ. And he's surrounded by his brothers. So he's completely surrounded by the body of Christ on either side. And so this is my, this is my head. How, how? It's by means of community. He can't bear it up alone. He lifts high the symbol of God's sovereign deliverance, but through fatigue becomes unfaithful in the task. Even though it's a physical expression, steady uh, has that idea of unfaithfulness in the task to point to God through his actions. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's to show this by his actions. He can't do it. So he comes to rest on the rock and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're saying, let us hold you up so you can complete what God has called you to do. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4.1-3 says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord um, which, by the way, buys Paul a lot of credibility with what he's about to say. Uh, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We always search for the miraculous. Right? We try to make miracles normative. Um, there's been a lot of talk about that lately. How does God work normally? By normal means. So, in a sense, in a sense, not in a sense, but in a sense, um, God uses his people to accomplish what he wants to do. So, as we uphold Christ, right, I mean, do you see do you see the picture? As we're the church, the pillar and standard of truth, holding up the truth for the world to see, it it's, can't be done by just one person. 
We've all got to be involved in that. We've all got to be doing our part in that. There's a community element here on the, on the hillside. Christ above and beneath and the body of Christ surrounding. I don't know. It's, it's in my head. Any, any comments on that? I'm talking a lot. Laura. Aaron and Hur didn't sit there taking turns taking pot shots at Moses. Come on, you weak old man. Pick it up. Pick it up. I mean, no. They, I don't know, they may have, but they, <laughs> we're not given that in the text. Um, they're, they're supporting him. They're holding him. I wonder if they got tired doing it. But they kept it going. Yeah. Maybe a little bit obscure, but you know, our nation, I think, was founded over the same thing you were talking about before. Under God, and I thought about the, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. One nation under God, indivisible, Jesus for all. And uh, that's what, what you're saying is, is kind of the pattern for success. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of people all uh, unified by the same purpose faith. Mm-hmm. It's all under God. They all see, hey, it's there's not one man that's over us. We are all together under God right. with faith in Christ set to a, accomplish a task. You know? Yeah. And, uh, what does that look like? I mean, we say, that, we say that, and that's good. We say that. But how, how are we as Christians to live in community to accomplish this kind of, well... The victory that God has for for the church in Christ. What does that look like? I think it leads to, when, I mean, not struggle, but when, especially when we see brother or sister are struggling, I mean, texting them and calling them and meeting together for lunch to, to talk about what's going on in their life with the Lord and to encourage them. To, to meet them where they are. And, and, and doing that in the context of, I'm doing this because I'm upholding Christ and who He is. And I mean, because lots of people do nice things. I mean, 
you know, atheists can go and build homes for people with have been through hurricanes, but why do we do it? What's driving it? What are we holding up as we do it? it it's got to be Christ. That's, that's the distinction. We don't do this under our own power. We're the means of his working in the world. So Moses says to Aaron and her, hey, I'm going up on the hill for the battle. I need you guys up there. Said, no. Yeah. Right. And these old men went and found a stone, directed him to the stone to sit down, to rest on the stone. Now, I don't think every stone in the Old Testament is Christ. I mean, we don't go there. Jesus under every rock, you know. I don't, I don't see that as the case. But I think it's a, at least an analogy to how you do help each other. It's not, hey, you're okay. It's all good. We don't do that. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Don't despair. That, that, that's where we go. We go to who is Jesus, what has he done, and who are you in Christ? Be who you are in Christ. Rest in that. Um, Ashley, you had something. Well, you were talking about like miracles earlier. Uh-huh. And you know, it's very easy for us as humans to say that like little things that happen is a miracle. You know, so what is the difference between a miracle from God and just a blessing? Just our just miraculous nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. You want to answer that, Laura? What's the difference between a miracle and, and something neat that happens? Don't drop your coffee. I didn't mean to call you. The... I mean, a miracle is not something that happens every day. It's, it's miraculous. It's out of the ordinary. It's, okay, well, there's no way. You, you, know, you see a lot of times, for example, that you know, we're speaking in this, which is Jewish. Oh, that's a miracle. Or, you know, I mean, it's just people have dumbed it down so much to mean nothing, really. It's not mm-hmm. Anything that gives me goosebumps is a miracle. Is that is that the standard today? Maybe a, is that the definition today when we make standard use of standard? Mm. I hit a green light. That's a miracle. On the East Loop, yes, it is definitely a miracle. So um, the um, the the for a miracle to be miraculous, it has to be something completely unnatural. That's not normal, and it doesn't. I can't call it down and command it on my whim, or that just becomes normative, I think is the issue there. Um, but the fact that we're being transformed from one image, from one glory to another, I mean, is a miraculous thing. It's just slowly done. Yes, ma'am? Going back to the image of Moses holding the staff on the top of the um, I was looking at... Uh, in my tiny little concordance, the verses that talk, use the word lift, uh-huh. um, like lift up, lift up the, the name of Jesus, or um, lift up your heads, all you gates, and all these different mm-hmm. ideas. And there's, there's all the scripture about Jesus being lifted up mm-hmm. on a hill. And maybe that was a picture, like a foreshadowing of, of, of the cross. Of the cross, maybe. Uh, I, 
certainly he said it, uh, when I'm lifted up I'll draw them into myself and it's not it's, I think that verse sometimes is used of hey let's lift Jesus higher so we can he's talking about the cross and 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 um, and what he accomplished there for um, those of all nations coming in so I mean I guess you could go analogous with that as well it'd be a, a picture of of, uh, of the cross but um, but yeah a- any other comments on that yeah I was going to ask you to repeat your point did you read from Colossians 6 2 was it about uh, bearing one another's burdens Ephesians 4 1 through 3 okay. I kind of go to Ephesians a lot so. <laughs> but um, you know I was thinking about how how we, we do this together with community and I mm-hmm. think it's what everybody has said it's through loving loving our brothers and sisters and we do that partly by bearing each other's burdens. And that's hard because we've got to tell everybody our burdens. We've got to tell people, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what's going on in my life. And hard to help somebody if you don't know what's going on in their head and in their heart. But then the job of the church is to love that person mm-hmm. by bearing with them. You know, and, and bearing doesn't always mean schmoopy. doesn't always mean you know, syrupy. Schmoopy. I'm sorry, Jerry Seinfeld is just in town. It's in my head. Um, so you, it doesn't always mean that. I mean, there may be some just have a little kindness and gentleness and tenderness. Sometimes it involves rebuking, exhorting them. Look, you can't keep doing this. In love. Yeah, in love. It's, that's the hard part, isn't it? Speak the truth in love. Since you mentioned the Colossians, and I'm glad you did, how about Colossians 3, uh, 12 and 13? Put on, then, as God's chosen ones... Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How did Jesus forgive you? When did that happen? Well, that's a that's a deep question. What? While we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Colleen here. Colleen here. No, it's okay. Did he say Colleen? Okay, okay. I just said no. <laughs> Probably wasn't the best response. Um, I'll. He'll forgive me. Um, how, so Christ died for while we were yet sinners. What does that tell us and how we should be relating to each other when we are offended by something somebody does? Do we, do we to love them and forgive them while they're still offensive to us? Um, do we murmur like... How are we doing on that, by the way? I have a confession to make. No, please. go ahead. Okay, um, I was talking with my friend Daniel yesterday, and he was saying that there's a difference between um, apologizing and forgiving. You know, because this, you know, there's this long story from this brother. And this brother never apologized for what happened, but he's like, I want you to forgive me. So, I don't know if that's like asking for forgiveness with an apology or if 
asking for forgiveness is just trying to satisfy, you know, satisfy the conviction that we feel. I guess it depends on how it's done. Yeah. I need forgiveness for the fact that I really offended you in doing X, you know, and that can be an a, a, apology. Um, I, I guess it just depends on how it's done. Yeah. If it's, well, I'm not sorry, but you need to forgive me anyway, well, that's a different issue. Um, but... I guess my question was, like, is there a difference between asking forgiveness and apologizing, or is it... I guess it's in the way it's done. Yeah, that's. I think the answer is in the way it's done. Okay. Um, Nevertheless, I mean, should we forgive before an apology is given? Sometimes you have to. <laughs> while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When when is forgiveness? When is action on forgiveness? We now forgive Stephen for being so late. We did it even before he asked for forgiveness. Yes, ma'am, Laura. What are we holding up when we forgive ahead of an apology? Christ. Putting Christ. We're, we're always a good answer in school, Carlos. Thank you for bringing that in. Uh, it, we're, we're displaying the forgiveness of Christ, the action of, of Him laying down His life sacrificially while we were yet sinners. Is that the banner we should be under? See, I brought it back around. <laughs> Is kindness a propositional truth? Is gentleness doctrine? Let's see. Patience, is that a is that something you find in your systematic theology? Those are your brothers in Christ that you just met. <laughs> <laughs> and love. She said they're dumber than dirt and love. Okay. Is humility and meekness, I guess the point I'm getting at, is that you don't, you don't necessarily, well, those attitudes, those are all, to me, those are emotional attitude kind of things from the heart. 
But you have to be informed by Jesus' response to the dumber than dirt brothers in Christ over here that we have that that, that she's pulling out. Um, the but those are transformational things from the heart, not not just oh I know this I'm good. We talk a lot about the um, the sufficiency and the and the and the contentment that we should have in Jesus, the thankfulness that we have in Christ. He's preeminent. I know. I'm, okay, it's ten to five. Um, that he be first, and that's really good in your head. Uh, and that and it sounds good at church, and we can say it sometimes on Facebook. Living that out has to come from the heart, and it has to come from a transformed heart because that ain't natural. You're talking about miraculous. That ain't natural. And these things calling us to be eager to maintain the unity uh, of spirit uh, uh, of the spirit and the bond of peace. Eager, that's an emotional thing. I'm not eager to forgive somebody who's offended me if they haven't apologized yet. Right? To that, for that to happen, that's got to be a spirit thing. And that's part of what we strive for. In, in I wouldn't know how to do that except in the context of community. If I'm with my Bible under a tree, I'm never going to learn how to be kind. Maybe to the tree. The tree doesn't really appreciate that. Um, it has to happen. All of these things that, that Paul calls us to do, the fruit of the, every fruit of the Spirit, every facet of the fruit of the Spirit, it's one fruit, by the way, every facet of the fruit of the Spirit is done in the context of community. That's how God works, through His people. I'm not saying God doesn't do you know, individualized wild stuff every now and then, but the, but the, the nuts and bolts of Christianity is in community. We have to do it in the, in the context of each other. So, and any other? Uh, I'm running long again. Well, any other comments? Well, that's where the dying daily comes in. It's when you don't do what you feel like doing. Right. Like, I don't feel like forgiving you. But. Yeah. Well, you should though, because because <laughs> I'm worth it. Right. There's a there's a story uh, Dante's Inferno. There's one of the one of the pictures there, of of the me people, and they're like and they're they're just he's looking at them and 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 they're in hell because it's one of the levels and they're just holding up their own banner of me and following each other around me 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 it's this kind of thing. When we cling to things, I'm hurt. That hurt me, and it may be legitimate hurt. I'm not I'm not downplaying that. But when we cling to it. And not say this is part of um, God's sovereign working is that this happened. It's for my good, His glory. How do I how do I hold that up? That that's where we need to be. And that's the that's not a propositional. It is pro, it's something in your head that you know you need to do it, but it's got to come from the heart. I'm going to be. I'm going to forgive them. You can't do that. That's just not helpful. <laughs> oh yeah, we all start out that way. Well. <laughs> Usually after a long bike ride, I'm better. Um, so it has to come from the heart. And I guess the point I'm making is we, we spend a lot of time on reforming the head. A lot of time washing the head with the word. And that's great. We need to do that. But from there, it's got to get to the heart. It's got to work itself out. All right. Any other comments? We need to be this way toward the unbelievers in our life, too. Not just the community, but 
it starts here, but it should spill over, not not just within the community of the church, but it should spill over toward unbelievers as well. That they know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another also spills out for the love you have for unbelievers too. Very good. Very good. Chelsea. Sure. All right then. So, pouring into a relationship where you expect nothing to receive should be balanced with don't cast your pearls before swine. Find that balance. (laughs) Right? I I think uh, of Jim Miller and, and for the past couple of years just pouring into Shirley where she doesn't know who he is and he's getting nothing out of that relationship but just pouring into her, taking care of her. Bring, and then I think of other people who pour into probably relationships they shouldn't be pouring into, that, that, that sap them, that, that aren't. There's a... there's a, and, and the way you do it, I guess, is it... So that's maybe another discussion. But, but the, the heart, we need to start from the heart of I'm forgiven, therefore I forgive. That's where we need to start. Okay. I'm going to pray, because it's, it's love. Father, thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. God, we pray for wisdom and discernment and how to navigate these issues of community. How do we forgive? What does that look like? What action should that drive us toward? We need the wisdom of your spirit because oftentimes we are dumber than dirt in how we do this. And so we, we look to your word, we look to um, the, the examples of, uh, of, of great saints who have gone before us and how to forgive each other, how to love each other, how to rightly uh, call each other to repentance, uh, how to rightly love a fallen world um, and those in it. And so we, we just ask for your wisdom and how to do it. We thank you that you have seen fit to um, work out your plan by means of a people, a community. And we know that that's a reflection of you because in your very being, you're a community. And so we just want to do that better. We want to look at how you would have us live and, and, and move um, and breathe in the context of of the the love of Christ and the wisdom of Christ. So we ask for that in His name. And thank you for the opportunity to be here to do it for His glory. Amen.